Boy, it is so good to be here. Man, so good to be back. I know whenever I say that, people say, huh, were you gone? You know, you always worry about that. Last week, we were all gone. The week before that was video, and so it's been two or three weeks anyway. And so, Jen and I got out Friday, and we were walking by yesterday thinking, you know, we just, we miss you. Miss being here, miss being with you, and so glad to be able to come back, and so glad to be able to do this with you. Probably need to start with a bit of a confession, if I might. Yesterday, I walked into an open door. Right there. Yeah. If you look closely, you'll see a thing there. And so if that calls into question my competence to speak today, I understand. If you just want to go and slip on out, go on to lunch, you know, something like that. If I get a little confused up here, maybe I'll have an excuse. I don't know, you know. Another thing to pass along, Janet thought we should call this a public service announcement. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day, gentlemen. If that's new information for some of you, Dennis, you look surprised. Steve, you're good? You're good? Trish is trying to help. I mean, she's got, you know, the sweater, the, all of that, yeah. Well, guys, the good news is that if you want to go to CVS, let's say, after church today, the cards are all there. The cards for the wives are all there. Now, for the husbands, they got picked over a month ago, but, you know, if you're going to get a card for your wife, you've got plenty of options till maybe after the game today. I don't know. Who knows, right? And so to turn over to the other side of the gender coin, today is also, of course, Super Bowl 56, but that's not as gender-specific an announcement as you might think. 100 million people are going to watch the game today, they say, 46% of which are women. Yeah, more women will watch the game today than will watch the Grammys, the Emmys, and the Oscars combined. Yeah, maybe for the commercials, the game, I don't know. While we're watching the game, we are going to consume, on average, 8,000 calories apiece. That's, fr- that's average. You know, think about what that means for those who, well, anyway. Eight, and along with that, it's apparently a fact, 43% of Americans will give up a holiday to be off work tomorrow. Maybe because they're going to consume 8,000 calories today, huh? One more Super Bowl trivia. The majority of Americans are apparently rooting for the Bengals today. Now, that's a lot of reasons, I guess. But one of them, they say, psychologists say, that you get greater pleasure out of unexpected happiness than expected happiness. So, in other words, if your underdog wins, you get more pleasure out of that than if the team that was supposed to win wins. That makes sense. Unless it's the Cowboys, which may never be in a Super Bowl again, but that's another story for another day, right? And another fact here, they say, is that if you're rooting for the underdog and they lose, you're obviously not as disappointed as if you were rooting for the favored team, and that's another reason people root for the underdog. And now you've had all your Super Bowl trivia for the day. Aren't you glad you came to chapel today, huh? But I'm going to assert that these two days go together, that there's a message here. If we combine Super Bowl and Valentine's Day, a message that far transcends all of that. So pray with me, and we'll talk about God's Word together. Father God, I thank you for the way that you have, by your grace, given us the privilege of such a beautiful day to be able to be here with family and friends, to be part of a family of faith, to be able together to celebrate your love for us, your grace for us, your mercy for us, and give us a pathway today, Lord, to a sense of being loved, a sense of significance, a sense of purpose. We will find no place else but from you. So teach us from your word, I pray. Prepare our hearts to receive your supper. 
And help us when we leave to know you more deeply and make you known more passionately because we were here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It is a fact. We all know this to be true, that every human being likes to be liked. All right? We want to be wanted. We need to be needed. We love to be loved. There's something in all of us that wants to be known for who we are and accept it anyway for who we really are, but accept it anyway. A very dear friend of mine, really a spiritual father in so many ways, an attorney in Dallas named Vester Hughes adopted us when we came to Dallas in 1998. Uh, meant so very much to me. Turned 80 years old a number of years ago. Major event. He argued any number of cases before the Supreme Court. He was personal friends with a number of the justices. It was a major event, 80th birthday. Legal community all over Dallas was there. Uh, I went to the event over in Dallas. At, after two hours of lauding my friend, they asked him to speak, which they told him he would not have to do. They asked him to speak. So he walked up to the microphone, and he said, For so many friends, to know the man I wish to be, know the man I am, and forgive the difference, I am most grateful. And then he walked off. He asked me later, he called me, he said, So many people want that, those words. What did I say? He didn't even remember what he'd said. Spur of the moment. Brilliant. 4-0 at Rice, 4-0 at Harvard, just an amazing person. But that was his statement. For so many people to know the man I wish to be, know the man I am, and forgive the difference. I quoted that at his memorial service. Well, we're all like that. We want somebody to know who we wish to be, know who we are, and forgive the difference. We all want to be loved like that. There's a pathway to that, but there's only one pathway to that. So let me start with the Valentine's Day side, then we'll get to the Super Bowl side, all right? This could be God's Valentine's Day card to us. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Children of God. So how do we become children of God? How does that work? How does that happen? Well, Paul explained that. Galatians chapter 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of a son into our hearts, crying, Abba, which is Aramaic for daddy, father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So why does the Bible call us adopted children? Why that metaphor? A couple weeks ago, I was down in Houston speaking at an apologetics uh, seminar for pastors, ministers in the area. At one point in the evening, the, some of the men in the room, the royal men, were asked to share ways that they were using their influence to share the gospel, to advance the kingdom. Uh, one of the men, I guess he was maybe in his 50s or 60s, told us that he was a bivocational minister, that he was a building inspector by day. But that was really his undercover job. He really saw himself as a missionary everywhere he went. And one of the ways he had found over the years that he was able to get people uh, to the gospel was to tell his story of being adopted when he was a baby. And the way he told us his story, he said, my adoption was really not like most adoptions. He said, my parents, my adoptive parents knew literally nothing about me. They didn't know my parents. They didn't know my background. They didn't know my story. They obviously didn't know my genetics. They knew literally nothing about me. They took me sight unseen, he said, was how he had been adopted. 
And that to him was a wonderful picture of the unconditional loving grace of God. And when he tells that story, it gives him a chance. If he's talking to a client or a family or a homeowner or whomever, it gives him a chance to bridge from that to God's love for us, God's unconditional love for us, being adopted in that way. Well, I thought about that later. I'm grateful for the way he put that. I understand his logic, but you could turn that around as well. The Father in heaven adopted you knowing everything about you. Before he created you, he knew every mistake you would ever make, but he made you anyway. When you became a child of God, when you trusted Christ as your Lord, I hope I trust you've done that. You've asked Jesus to forgive your sins and be your Lord. In that moment, you became adopted as the child of God. God knew everything about your past, also everything about your future. God today knows all the sins you and I are going to commit tomorrow that we don't even know we're going to commit. And still He loves us. That unconditionally. If you think in Valentine's Day terms, I wonder how many wives would have married us if they'd known then what they know now, you know? Pretty scary thought, right? Aren't you glad, guys, they didn't know then what they know now? Aren't you glad you're not redoing the deal? You're not retrading the deal, right? Well, that's God's love. Knew then what you know now, knows today what you don't know, and loves you that unconditionally. But then after the seminar, I shared another aspect of this with that particular student in the context of Galatians 4 and Paul's culture. What Paul's really driving at here in Galatians 4 is really interesting, I think. There was a thing in the Roman culture of Paul's day called patria potestas. That's Latin for the power of the Father. In first century Roman Empire, before and after that as well, power of the Father meant that a father had absolute power over his biological children from their birth to his death. If you were the biological child of a Roman father, that father could sell you into slavery. That father could sell you as an indentured servant, another kind of slavery, bond servanthood it's called. That father could abuse you any way he wished to do so. And because he was your father, the Roman Empire could and would do nothing about that. He could even have you put to death. There are stories of fathers putting children who come to faith in Christ to death. That's behind Jesus' warning. Remember Jesus' warning that fathers will have sons put to death and mothers their daughters. That happened in the Roman Empire. However, if a father adopted you, legally adopted you as his child, none of that could happen. An adopted child could not be sold into slavery, could not be sold into bond servitude, could not be abused, could not be disinherited. If you were adopted by a father, now look at what Paul says. We might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of a son into our hearts. And now you can say to the God of the universe, Daddy, Abba. Father, and now you can't be a slave anymore. Now you can't be disinherited anymore. You're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. That's God's Valentine's Day gift to you. It's His love for you, His unconditional love for you. That's why when you read in Romans 8, words, you get the sense that words were just failing the Apostle Paul. When he asked, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? 
As it is written, for thy sake we're killed all the day long, we're counted as sheep for the slaughter. But in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm persuaded, Paul said, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how loved you are. That's your Valentine's Day card from God for every day of the year. Now, what does that have to do with Super Bowl Sunday, one might ask? How do those two things go together, right? Well, what happens on the field today will be a pathway for one of the teams to what is often considered football immortality, right? If Matthew Stafford wins, a lot of us from Highland Park, our kids went to Highland Park, I actually watched Stafford play his first game as a sophomore and knew he'd be playing on Sunday. Still remember it. We were sitting up in the stands, and it's his first game starting as a sophomore. They don't, start as, they don't let you play in the varsity as a freshman, or else he would have. And so he's starting as a sophomore, and he's rolling out to the left. I had a view of it from the stands. He's rolling out to the left for a little 10-yard dump pass. And at the last second, a guy comes open running a decoy route on a deep flag. And he turns and rife, doesn't set his feet, doesn't turn his body, flicks his wrist 60 feet on a rope, hits him in the hands, catches the touchdown before he goes out of bounds. Sophomore. And we said, okay, he's going to play on Sunday. You know, I wish I'd been his agent. Jenny used to tell our sons, get his signature now. Get it now. And a believer, by the way, very active at Highland Park Presbyterian Church, he and his wife, Kelly, and so good guy. So anyway, maybe they'll win. A lot of people in where we're from would absolutely want that to be true. They made T-shirts, Scots for Stafford, and they sold out, they said, in like three minutes down at the football stadium. Randy Allen, the head coach there, very strong Christian. So maybe that'll win. Maybe that'll happen. Maybe it'll be the Bengals, whose head coach is a very committed Christian. Zach Taylor, he's made no mistake about it in all his interviews this week, lives by four priorities, faith, family, friends, football, in that order, he says. Very clear about his faith. They have a rookie kicker, Evan McGregor, incredible guy. And just, in fact, it's his kicks that got him there, who after his kick got them to the AFC championship game, wore to the press conference a T-shirt that says God is great to the press conference afterwards. So whichever side you want to pick, you can argue, you know. But what happens today isn't really going to change that much beyond today. It's not going to do much about Ukraine, not going to do much about the trucker strike, not going to help with the pandemic, and it's going to have to start all over again tomorrow. Who won the Super Bowl last year? Think about it. Tampa Bay, right? Tom Brady, remember? Yeah. Who won the year before that? Who won the year before that? It's actually New England, I think. Then Philly before that. And to make the point again, who lost? No idea. Have to look it up, right? On one level, what's happening on the game is really a metaphor for our culture, where you're as good as your last win. You're as good as your last play. You're as good as your last success. And you know what that is, right? You're as good as your last deal. You're as good as your last investment. Whatever it is in your life, wherever it is that success gets measured for you, I'm only as good as my last message or my last article or my last interview or whatever it is I'm doing because we live in a performance-centered success is based on what you do culture. 
and that is front and center today in the game. As Mark Cuban often says in the NBA, there's one winner and everybody else is a loser. That's how the culture looks at it, right? So easy to think that's true of us. So easy to measure our self-worth by our performance, our popularity, our possessions. To think that we are what the culture thinks we are. And you're never done. I'm writing this article for tomorrow. It's a thing called the hedonic treadmill. It's a simple fact. Psychologists call it homeostasis. You and I are made in such a way to seek tranquility, to seek sameness, to seek, um, to seek uh, stability in our lives. And so part of what happens is you get something new, you do something great, something phenomenal happens in your life, but before very long, the new wears off, before very long, you're made psychologically to try to revert back to the mean. You can't live on that high. You can't live in that celebration. You can't have a Super Bowl party and parade every single day. You got to go back to the real world, got to go back to normal. We're just kind of made that way, so we therefore have to keep getting more wins to keep experiencing more of the high of the wins. There's never enough. So when asked one of the Rockefellers, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little more. The other side of this is a fear of loss. The fact we don't want to give up what we now have. We want to at least stay where we are. It's this treadmill. You can run faster, but you're not going anywhere, right? I got over to the fitness center yesterday. That's where I actually hit my head was on one of the doors of the fitness center. But you're on this treadmill. You can turn the treadmill up as fast as you want. You can make it go as fast as you can keep up, but you're not really going anywhere. You know? You're running hard. You're sweating a lot. Your heart rate's up, but you're not going anywhere. Hedonic treadmill. Psychologist named John Powell in his book, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am?, expresses it like this. He speaks of the imprisoning fears and self-doubt which cripple most of us and keep us from forward movement on the road to maturity, happiness, and true love. He adds, none of us wants to be a fraud or to live a lie. None of us wants to be a sham, a phony. But the fears that we experience and the risks that honest self-communication would involve seem so intense to us that seeking refuge in our roles, masks, and games becomes an almost natural reflex action. After a while, it may even be quite difficult for us to distinguish between what we really are at any given moment in our development as persons and what we pose as being. It is such a universally human problem that we might justifiably call it the human condition. And the antidote to the Super Bowl, performance-driven, success is being what people want you to be, is the Valentine's Day fact that we are the children of God. The antidote to today is tomorrow. The antidote to success-driven significance is status-driven significance. If your status is, you're the child of God changes everything. If you recognize there's nothing you could do to make God love you any more or less than He already does, if you realize there's nothing you can do, you've been adopted, you're an heir, no patria potestas for you. If you'll believe that in your bones, 
if you'll feel that in your soul, that is liberating. Now you're free to love people whether they love you, whether they love you or not. You're free to like people whether they like you or not. You're free to serve people whether they serve you or not. You're free to share your faith whether they reject your Lord or not. You are free to live the life God intended you to live because you're already loved. You're already liked. You're already the child of God. You have the highest status in the universe. No president, no king could begin to compare with who you already are. So my advice to us today is to start every day by remembering who we are. Make every day Valentine's Day. Every day the world's going to want you to be in the Super Bowl. Say no to that and say every day is Valentine's Day instead. Not Super Bowl Sunday, Valentine's Day with God. Live every day by the fact that you were loved so absolutely and unconditionally that the world has nothing to offer and nothing to take beyond who you are in Christ. Now, I don't know where that applies most to you today. I don't know what problem you're up against. I don't know what shame you brought to chapel. I don't know what guilt you're feeling. I don't know what fear you're facing. I don't know where it is in your life. You needed to be reminded today of who God thinks you are. But God did, and that's why you're here. And so how does that fact of God's Valentine's Day unconditional love for you change you? What does that mean for you? Whatever you're up against, I'll close with this, and then we'll share the Supper of our Lord together. Remember not only who you are, but whose you are. And remember who your father is, all right? I saw this in a Christianity Today article by Philip Yancey, and I thought it was really powerful, really profound. We'll close with it. Yancey writes these words. Scientists now believe that if you had unlimited vision, you could hold a sewing needle at arm's length toward the night sky and see 10,000 galaxies in the eye of the needle. 10,000 galaxies in the eye of the needle. Move it an inch to the left, you'd find 10,000 more. Same to the right, or no matter where else you moved it. There are approximately a trillion galaxies out there, each encompassing an average of 100 to 200 billion stars. And your father made all of that. Now, what's your problem? Let's pray. Father God, how I thank you that by grace we cannot begin to fathom, but that we can begin to experience. You've invited us here today to hear, to know, to believe, to experience the fact of your passionate, unspeakable love for us, that you would adopt us and take us into your family. Father, we were born into families that were fallen, into families of sin, into families of death, and you adopted us into a family of life, eternal life. And now we get to be home in the castle, in the throne room of the king. Lord, thank you for that fact. May that fact 
penetrate to our souls and our hearts this day. And may it be a sustaining fact for us tomorrow and all the tomorrows to come, I pray. As we thank you for that reality in Jesus' name. Now, before we close, pick that problem, pick that place where you needed that reminder from God today. Put words to it. Verbalize it, please, right now. That place where you most needed to know that you were that loved by God. Pick it. And now, receive the gift of God's grace right there. Say, Lord, right here, I thank you I'm your child. I thank you I'm adopted by your love. Say that right now. And Father, it's in gratitude for such grace that we take now this supper that reminds us of your love, intangible expression, your grace. Help us to do this in hearts overflowing with worship, wonder, and gratitude. Even now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll close our service today by sharing the Supper of our Lord. We do this on the first Sunday of the month, except last Sunday it was about 24 degrees outside, and we didn't try to have chapels. So if you will, gentlemen, if you can help us to distribute these elements. If you know Christ as your Lord, you are welcome at His table. We have no membership here, no offering, and never start on time. Those are our rules. And so uh, please take this, but don't drink or don't eat until everybody's been served. And then I will lead us as we'll take together the Supper of our Lord. Everybody been served? Thank you, guys. So the Bible says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and gave it to his disciples.